Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for being here with us today. So as we end our time reading 2 Timothy this morning, we encounter what may be the Apostle Paul's most moving words. Paul knows that his days are numbered. He knows his life is coming to an end. He knows his God-given mission is almost complete. But before Paul goes, he gives Timothy, his beloved child in the faith, his brother in Christ, his co-worker in God's kingdom, one final, rousing, heartfelt charge. In a way, Paul is passing the torch to Timothy before his own flame is extinguished. Now, it's hard to imagine words more important than a person's final words. And the end of 2 Timothy features not just some of Paul's most moving words in the New Testament. These are his last recorded words in the New Testament. And these words are meant to set the course for the rest of Timothy's life as a believer in Jesus. They're meant to light the treacherous path of Timothy's service in the church. They're meant to encourage, strengthen, and challenge Timothy to press on as a herald of the gospel in a lost, dark, and dying world. It's not hard to imagine Timothy treasuring this piece of parchment, this final letter from Paul, until the day of his own death. And if we pay attention to them, Paul's dying words can be just as helpful for us as they were to Timothy. They can set our course as believers in Jesus, light our path of service in God's church, and encourage us as we strive to fulfill our ministry in our own lost world. So we'll read these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Feel free to open up and follow along with me. But before we do any reading, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for the opportunity to read your word. Uh, Thank you for this passage that is well known, is familiar. Uh, Many of us find a passage like this particularly inspiring and, and comforting and encouraging. And Lord, thank you for those portions of your word that can be so meaningful for us. Uh, But as we read last week, thank you for all of your word uh, that is inspired, that you have breathed out, that you have given to us, not so that we can just have a hobby, uh, not so that we can have something to study, uh, not just another subject that we can attempt to master, but rather you've given us your word so that we can know who you are. Uh, And so, Lord, thank you for this word that we read today. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who brings us together. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would honor you and glorify you with the things that we say and the things that we do here in this room, in this building, in this time that we have together this morning. We love you. We honor you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So starting with 2 Timothy chapter 4, reading in verse 1. Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead 
and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. You can tell just how serious Paul is in verse 1. I mean, he's given Timothy charges before, but none quite like this. Look again at what he says. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Those are high stakes, aren't they? When you hear words like that, you know that what's about to follow isn't just a quick tip, a useful suggestion, or best practices. Paul is presenting Timothy with a solemn oath. And if Timothy wasn't paying attention before, when he hears those words, he'll definitely pay attention then. Now, you can break this up into three main commands. The first command is preach the word. Preach the word. If you think back to last week, Paul reminded Timothy that God's word, scripture, the sacred writings, the gospel, it is inspired by God and it's useful to Timothy. It is breathed out by God and profitable for every good work that a servant like Timothy will have ahead of him. The servant of God is not called to preach his own clever ideas, brilliant theories, or personal opinions. That's what the false teachers did, and look where that got them. Paul said last week they oppose the truth, are corrupted in mind, and disqualified regarding the faith. That's what happens when you stray from God's word. And so Paul tells Timothy, preach this word. Church, preach this word. Christian, preach this word. That's command number one. Command number two, always be ready. In season and out of season, always be ready. Timothy is not charged to preach this word only when it's convenient advantageous or comfortable to do so he's to preach this word at all times timothy's mission his calling his service to the lord your mission your calling your service to the lord this is not 40 hours per week monday through friday this is not one and a half hours per week every sunday we are always on the clock. Being a disciple of Jesus isn't just one thing we do. One role that we fill. One hat that we wear among many others. This is who we are. It's our flesh. It's our blood. It's our bones. We never take this faith off. We never retire from this work. We are always ready, in season and out of season. 
And then the third command, which really is three rolled into one. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. You could sum that up by saying, make disciples. Make disciples. Hold your fellow believers accountable to the truth. Teach your fellow believers the truth. Share the truth with those who don't believe. That lines up well with what we read last week. 2 Timothy 3.17 Reprove, correct, train in righteousness. That is discipleship in a nutshell. Now, of course, addressing sin and confronting errors and challenging our siblings in Christ to godliness is not always easy. And there needs to be a level of credibility and trust there for it to be done well. Paul's reminder that Timothy must do this with patience is important to remember. It's not just a meaningless add-on. But as difficult as this may be, especially that part about reproving and rebuking, as difficult as it may be, servants of the Lord cannot delay, cannot avoid, cannot soften this command. We are called to discipleship ourselves, and we are called to disciple others. And that's what Paul is calling Timothy to do. You know, to be honest, this sounds like ministry 101. I mean, after all these years of learning under Paul, shouldn't Timothy already know this stuff? Preach the word. Be ready at all times. Make disciples. You don't need a seminary education to know that that's what elders and pastors and to some degree every believer is called to do. But it never hurts to get a refresh of the basics, especially when Paul knows that his time is running short. But then on top of that, the following verses tell us why Paul gives Timothy these basic commands with such seriousness. Why he frames the stuff that Timothy had already heard before, in all likelihood, why he frames it as a solemn oath. Look ahead to verse 3. Paul continues. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Just because Paul's commands sound elementary. Preach the word. Be ready at all times. Make disciples. Just because they sound elementary does not make them easy. You see, not everybody wants Timothy to do those things. Not everybody likes to hear the word preached. 
They prefer watered-down doctrine to suit their passions. Not everybody wants their church leaders to be ready at all times. They prefer that they let their guard down, lighten up, and maybe not take all this stuff so seriously. Not everybody likes being challenged to mature in holiness and leave their sin behind. They prefer that their sin be affirmed, winked at, or ignored. And if Timothy won't do those things, that's really no big problem. They'll just find someone else who will. I'm sure the false teachers would welcome them with open arms and say whatever they'd like to hear, whatever would make them feel good. But Paul reminds Timothy, Paul reminds us, as for you, as for me, preach the word. Be ready at all times. Make disciples. It all sounds rather basic, but that doesn't mean it's easy. Some people, many people, don't really want those things, even in churches. But that should not knock Timothy, it should not knock us off course. We are not called to give the people what they want. We are called to give the people what God says we need. Truth is always the best medicine, even if it's sometimes hard to swallow. So servant of the Lord, stay focused. Keep a level head in a world of confusion and mixed messages and lies. Develop a thick skin, even to the point of suffering if need be. Don't be shocked if not everyone likes what you have to say and you often feel alone. And finally, have a soft heart, especially for those who are lost. Timothy is called to be an evangelist to the very people making his life so hard. Fulfill your ministry. Do your job. Stay the course. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. So again, maybe Timothy's charge isn't so simple after all. It will require dedication, patience, wisdom, endurance, and last but not least, love. Love for God. Love for God's word. Love for the church. Love for his fellow believers. And even love for your enemies. Many will oppose you. Many will reject you. Many will abandon you. You couldn't blame Timothy for feeling a little intimidated as he reads this final charge. You couldn't blame Timothy for fearing that he could not possibly fill Paul's shoes. That he could not possibly be up to this task. And he'd be right. By his own strength. By his own wisdom. By his own knowledge. He wouldn't be up for it. 
But by God's grace, faithfulness to this difficult calling can be done. The solemn oath can be fulfilled. And Paul is living proof. Moving to verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul motivates Timothy to fulfill his ministry by giving his own life as an example. The faithful lives of others can encourage and inspire us to faithfulness ourselves. As Paul waits for death, he can say with a straight face, with his head held up high before God and man, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul did it. He has no regrets. His eternal reward is so close that he can smell it. And if Paul can do it, so can Timothy. And if Timothy can do it, so can you. So can I. We have the same Holy Spirit dwelling in us that they did. And this joy isn't just for Paul. It's for all who have loved Christ's appearing. If God was faithful and gracious to Paul to the very end, he will be faithful and gracious to you to the very end. If God can sustain and strengthen and preserve Paul through a difficult life of faith all the way to his death, then he can do the same for you. So don't tap out of the fight. Don't slow down on the race. Keep the faith. Look forward to your crown of righteousness secured for you by Jesus Christ. In the words of the ancient preacher John Chrysostom, there is no worthier contest than this. The crown is without end and is not made of olive branches. This contest has no human umpire nor men for spectators. The theater is crowded with angels. Fight your good fight. Finish your race. Keep the faith. Again, in a sense, the solemn oath that Paul issued Timothy is issued to every believer in Jesus. So who are you called to preach the word to? Who are you called to disciple? Whoever it is, your spouse, your child, your friend, your neighbor, your co-worker, or your brothers and sisters in this church, I guarantee you, you have someone. Whoever it is, 
Be ready to preach the word at all times. Be ready to disciple at all times. Be ready to introduce someone who doesn't believe in Jesus to him for the first time. Be ready to help someone who does believe in him grow and mature in faith and holiness. Do it in season. Do it out of season. Be ready to preach the word. And pray that God would help you do it with patience, with wisdom, and with love. Ask God to help you keep a level head, a thick skin, and a soft heart as you fulfill your ministry in this world. Because as we've seen, it won't always be easy. And you can't do it on your own. We should also heed the warning of this passage. We shouldn't just be aware of how others may wander from the truth. We should be careful that we don't do the same. The examples of how we may be tempted to do this are endless. Christians and churches face immense pressure to soften our biblical convictions for the sake of giving the people what they want. Desperately hoping that people won't stop attending our church. Won't stop giving to our church. Won't stop liking us. We face immense pressure to go along with the spirit of the age rather than the spirit of God in hopes of staying relevant. There are myths that we may be tempted to buy into. We face immense pressure to abandon, sidestep, or twist God's word to suit our sinful passions. We are tempted to corrupt, to neuter, to compromise the timeless, unchanging, sound teaching of the gospel to scratch the latest and greatest itch. But in the words of C.S. Lewis, a man who first tried to guess what the people want and then preached it as Christianity would be a pretty mixture of a fool and a knave. We preach, we teach, we rely on God's word. Even if that means we go against the grain, run against the wind, and swim upstream of popular opinion. Faithful churches and faithful Christians do not give the world what it wants. We give the world what it needs. And we have what the world needs. We have it in our hands. And finally, we ought to pray that we might have the same faith, the same confidence at our death that Paul had at his. Paul's assurance of his salvation wasn't arrogance stemming from his own works. All that he had done, his long track record, his extended resume of faithfulness to Christ. Paul's assurance of his salvation, his confidence in the face of death, came not from his works, but from Christ's works. As he says in verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul wasn't boasting in himself. 
He was boasting in Christ. And as we face our own death, whenever that might come, we can have this same confidence. Because Christ perfectly fought his good fight. Because Christ perfectly finished his race all the way to the cross. Because Christ perfectly kept his faith. And we are one with him by faith. We know that we too can make it to the finish line. Now as we close, it's easy to neglect the final verses of 2 Timothy. Paul gives Timothy his final requests. He'd like Timothy to come see him before he dies, and preferably before winter weather slows him down. Paul talks about who's with him, who isn't, who and what Timothy should bring, who to avoid along the way, and who to greet before he comes. There are multiple names mentioned at the end of 2 Timothy that appear elsewhere in the New Testament, especially the book of Acts. But if nothing else, these verses remind us that Paul was a real person, like you and me. He had real relationships, real wants, real desires. He was not some larger-than-life hero that we cannot possibly relate to. Paul even takes a moment in these closing verses to express forgiveness and grace to those who have betrayed him. Those who have harmed him. Up to the very end, Paul is still imitating Jesus. But then we see those final words in verse 22. The last words of the Apostle Paul, at least that we have written down. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Tradition has it that Paul was beheaded by the notoriously brutal Roman Emperor Nero sometime around the year 68 AD. But as one old saying goes, God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. Paul's work for the gospel carried on long after he died. It would carry on long after Timothy died. God answered Paul's prayer at the end of 2 Timothy. Grace clearly has been with us. If it hadn't been, we wouldn't be here. So with that in mind, may we not take that grace for granted. By the Holy Spirit's power and with God's inspired word to guide us, may we fulfill our solemn oath. May we follow our Lord. May we answer our call. May we fulfill our ministries. May we fight our good fight, finish our race, and keep our faith until God calls us home, until we receive our own crown of righteousness. May we do this in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for this word that we read. 
Thank you for the lives of believers before us. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. It's so easy to read biblical stories and simply take away that we need to strive and work hard to be more like Paul. We need to be more like this person, more like that person. And it's true that we can look at people's lives in your word and find ways that we want to imitate them and, and be like them. But, Lord, ultimately, the Bible is a long list of stories that ultimately come together into one story of your faithfulness to your people by your grace through Jesus Christ. But, Lord, thank you for people like Paul, who you use to continue the work that you do. Even though you bury your workmen, you continue your work. And so, Lord, I thank you for those who came before us. And I pray that we would be like them, that we would carry on the work you've given us by your Spirit's power, with your word's guidance. Thank you for how grace has been with us for these generations and generations and generations of believers. And Lord, I pray that as they fulfilled their oaths, as they fought their fights and finished their races and kept their faith, I pray that we would do the same. I pray that this letter to Timothy would help us do the same, would spur us on to do the same. I pray that we would preach the word to each other, that we would disciple each other, that we would be evangelists in this world that needs the truth and is so tempted to wander off into myths. Lord, knowing that we have the truth by your grace, may we humbly and joyfully and persistently share it rather than just keeping it to ourselves. Lord, help us be faithful. Help us follow you, honor you. Help us look forward to our crown of righteousness that has our name on it. Not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. We love you. We thank you for this day. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.